0: Welcome to edition number 1990 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday, the 7th of December, 2023. I'm Bridget Walton and I edited this edition. Beside me at the recording controls, we have Rob Oxpring. This week, we have items about moths and the word of the year, as well as housing and transport. But Jeremy Clarkson didn't make the cut, and nor did Oxford United. Our four readers are Jean Thompson, Alan Revell, Dorothy Allen and John Ashwell. So let's have our first story, which is read by Jean, and concerns West Oxfordshire District Council going it alone.
1: It's entitled, Council Services to Return to District. Four councils are set to take back greater control of services by bringing them back in house. West Oxfordshire District Council, WODC, shared most services with Cotswold District Council, Forest of Dean District Council, and Cheltenham Borough Council in an arrangement set up by the previous Conservative administration. WODC services, ranging from customer services and planning to back office functions like IT and finance, were moved to the council's jointly owned company, Publica, in 2017. It meant West Oxfordshire householders calling the council might find the phone being answered by staff in the Forest of Dean district. In a move which has yet to be officially approved, the council's not-for-profit company, Publica, would only provide back-office functions in West Oxfordshire. WODC said the company has delivered the savings it was set up for, but an independent review has looked at whether it could meet the local aspirations that the councils are focused on. The final report recommended that a significant number of services should return to being under the direct control of the councils. If the recommendations are approved at a meeting of WODC's executive, it will create a phased plan to transfer services. The large majority of council staff are employed by Publica, but no jobs are thought to be put at risk. The other councils will consider the report. Andy Graham, leader of West Oxfordshire District Council, said, I'd like to thank Publica for delivering the efficiencies they have to date and for providing good services to residents. But every partnership must evolve to meet new challenges and now is the ideal time to make sure that, as a council, we are fit for the future. While this will mean change for some staff, the vast majority of employees involved in the services that move away from publica will simply see their jobs transferred back to being under council employment we will work hard to support staff through the transition
0: now alan has an article on housing
2: i do the headline is council is allowed to slash ludicrous that's in quotes housing targets the story reads A drastic cut in the number of houses that will have to be built across the area has been welcomed by councillors. Under new government calculations, the number of homes West Oxfordshire District Council has to supply by 2041 will be slashed in half. West Oxfordshire District Council's adopted local plan recently passed its fifth anniversary, meaning that it had to be reviewed. The government has recently introduced an option for local authorities to calculate their five-year land supply using its alternative standard method, and the words standard method are in quotes. The result is West Oxfordshire can once again demonstrate a 5.4-year supply of deliverable housing sites. Its inability to show it had enough sites to meet its housing requirements in the past had been used by developers in numerous planning appeals, including for strongly opposed schemes in Burford, Aston, Freeland and the Moors in Ducklington. Carl Rylott, Executive Member for Planning and Sustainable Development, said, This is highly significant news. We remain committed to building the right number of houses in the right places, but the fact that we have not been able to demonstrate a full five-year supply of housing sites over the past 12 months has put us at risk from speculative development in unsuitable locations. Revising our calculation reduces this risk and allows us to concentrate on making swift progress with our new local plan, setting a new housing target to 2041 and identifying a pipeline of suitable sites supported by the right investment in infrastructure. New Executive Member for Planning and Sustainable Development, Charlie Maynard, said it would allow the District Council to cut the number of houses it must deliver in the next five years by 47%. He said the new calculation, quotes, rescues West Oxfordshire from the ludicrously large housing targets which the Conservatives signed the district up to in 2018. But Councillor Jeff Hayne, planning chairman prior to the Tories losing control of the council, said the figures were factually incorrect. He said the rules relating to housing delivery for the years 2018 to 2023 were imposed by the Planning Inspectorate, not the Conservatives, and the Planning Inspectorate based their housing numbers on local housing need, not population growth. He explained the local plan to deliver 10,000 houses over 20 years was refused by the Planning Inspectorate in 2015. The Council was told to submit higher numbers based on the 2014 Strategic Housing Market Assessment and also to add in Oxford City's unmet housing need.
3: He continues the housing theme. The headline for this article is Affordable Homes to be Built Despite Fears, and um, that's um, in commerce, the affordable. Work is set to begin on a new affordable housing project in West Oxfordshire Village, despite opposition from local people. Affordable housing specialist Living Space and social housing provider Stonewater have entered an agreement to construct 40 houses on a five-acre site in Aston near Whitney. Over 200 letters of objection were received to the scheme, which was also opposed by local councillors over infrastructure concerns. Campaign group Windrush Against Sewage Pollution, WASP for short, also suggested condition that no development should begin until there was a necessary upgrade to foul drainage by Thames Water. However, planning officers recommended approval. The collaboration follows the sale of the site by Terra, a sister company of Living Space and land specialist, to Stonewater. Construction work on site is expected to commence next year. Meeting the local demand for affordable housing is the main objective of the 100% affordable housing development. It will include a variety of property types, ranging from two-bedroom bungalows to four-bedroom family homes, intending to cater to couples and families of different sizes. Paul Green, Managing Director at Living Space, said, In designing this scheme, it was essential to ensure these homes would not only meet the proven lack of affordable housing in West Oxfordshire, but also provide a complementary extension to the existing village here in Aston. The huge demand for these homes is also why we're pleased to get started on construction in the next few months. The local village, conveniently within walking distance, offers future residents access to a primary school, pub, village hall, community shop and tea room, with a bus stop located opposite the developer's entrance. Marie Reardon, Director of Development at Stonewater, said, ''We know there is an ever-increasing demand for safe, sustainable and affordable homes, particularly in rural locations like this, which allow local people to remain within their communities and enable them to thrive.''
0: Our next item also refers to planning decisions. John reads it.
4: Cotswold Solar Farm Plans Reduced After Opposition. is the heading. A developer has submitted revised plans for a solar park that was fiercely opposed by residents of a Cotswold village. British Solar Renewables has lodged fresh plans for Aikman Solar Park in Ramsden to West Oxfordshire District Council. It claims the site will have enough capacity to generate power for over 6,000 family homes. BSR originally submitted a planning application in 2021 with solar panels covering 27 acres of the five-field site. The application sparked strong opposition and was withdrawn days before the planning meeting. The new design scheme is 10% smaller, with around 2,900 fewer panels. Plans state that the proposed solar park offers the opportunity for ecological enhancements and there is expected to be a significant positive net biodiversity impact. New hedgerow planting is proposed to contain and screen the solar arrays, and no public rights-of-way will be closed during or after construction. BSR added that it is committed to establishing a community benefit fund of £20,000 for local projects, which could include energy-saving measures for low-income households and support uh, for community projects focused on renewable energy generation. And it said, over its life cycle, the project will generate approximately £1 million of business rates for West Oxford District Council. Colin Ramsey, Chief Operating Officer at BSR, that's BSR's development arm, said, Our application follows West Oxford District Council's declaration of a climate emergency and the emergency of natural climate change targets that are enshrined in law.
1: This is from a booklet produced by West Oxfordshire District Council and it's entitled Creating Excellence in Leisure. Across West Oxfordshire, ensuring everybody has access to healthy and active wildlife, wild style, excuse me, lifestyle is a top priority for the Council. In the last year, we have been working diligently to improve our leisure facilities as part of our plans for leisure. Which put you at the centre. Here, we share some of the key initiatives and developments that have been shaping our district's leisure landscape. It's divided into four different sections. Making our facilities more accessible. One of our proudest achievements this year has been the implementation of the Changing Places project. Through a government grant of £40,000 we've been able to install fully accessible toilet facilities at Chipping Norton Leisure Centre, equipped with hoists, curtains and adult-sized changing benches to assist those with special requirements. Secondly, sustainability and garden reduction, excuse me, carbon production Sustainability is at the heart of our strategies and recognising that Carterton Leisure Centre accounts for 33% of the Council's carbon emissions, we've embarked on an important mission to reduce the Centre's carbon footprint by replacing its gas gas boilers with low-carbon heating solutions and installing solar PV panels. Thirdly... Woodstock Open Air Pool Summer Success. Deviating from its usual May to September opening schedule, the pool opened exclusively for a six week period. This not only reduced operational costs, but also significantly lessened our carbon footprint. Despite some trying weather conditions, the pool's alignment with school summer holidays attracted families and swimmers from across the district to enjoy a range of activities, including diving lessons, one to one swim sessions, float sessions, poolside yoga, and even a bring your dog for a swim session at the end of the season. The English weather, being what it is, saw a week long heat wave in September. And we were able to react quickly to make sure the pool stayed open so people could take advantage of the unseasonably warm weather. And fourthly, fit for the future? Our leather facilities are not just about today's users. It's about the next generation. So when we talk about leisure, we aren't just talking about what we already have, but thinking about what would be relevant in the coming years, this could be about BMX tracks or climbing walls.
2: And next from me is uh, a district dossier by Andrew Prosser, who is the Green Councillor, a Green Councillor for West Oxfordshire District Council. The headline on his uh, column is Let's Make a Difference by Changing Our Habits. As I write this, the United Nations Climate Meeting, COP28, Is taking place in Dubai, where governments are discussing how to limit and prepare for future climate change. It is hoped that COP28 will help keep alive the goal of limiting long term global temperature rises to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Recent estimates suggest the world is currently on track for about 2.4 degrees Celsius up to 2.7 degrees Celsius of warming by the year 2100. So we need to reduce carbon emissions much faster. Governments make the most impact, but individually and collectively as consumers, we can make a big difference by changing our own habits. How can you reduce your personal carbon footprint? Well, insulate your home and look at switching from gas or oil boilers to electric heat pumps for hot water and heating. Cut out food waste and cut back on meat and dairy. Drive less and fly less. Think before you buy by repairing rather than replacing or donating rather than throwing away and buying longer-lasting and more energy-efficient products. It feels good when you can do something to improve our local environment. More than 50 new community orchards are set to be created in West Oxfordshire from the Coronation living heritage fund the orchards will be on publicly accessible land to allow as many people as possible to benefit from them a key action within our local diversity plan sorry local diversity action plan whether apples pears cherries walnuts quinces or plums new orchards will be will be a welcome source of fresh fruit and ingredients for jams and drinks. Thanks to my Green Party colleague, Rosie Rosie Pearson, for bringing a motion to Council promoting market gardens. One of the aims of the Oxfordshire Food Strategy, to which we have signed up, is to grow our local food economy through local enterprises, local jobs and local wealth creation.
3: And following that, uh, some more about the orchards. Headline 50K Grant to Help Plant 50 Orchards. More than 50 new community orchards providing benefits to wildlife and householders are to be created in West Oxfordshire. This new initiative follows a successful bid by the District Council to secure £50,000 from the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs Coronation Living Heritage Fund. The Council's initiative aims to restore lost habitats and boost connections between communities and their local green spaces. The Orchard Initiative will also be beneficial to birds, sustaining pollinators and other local wildlife. Councillor Andrew Prosser, Executive Member for Climate Change at West Oxfordshire District Council said, we know there's a lot of interest in the benefits that orchards can offer, both as a means to boost biodiversity and provide new habitats for wildlife, and as a way of bringing communities together. In the last 100 years or so, over 80% of orchards have disappeared across Oxfordshire. The trees planted in the coronation orchards will play an important role not only by increasing the number of trees in the district, but as they age, these trees will develop hollow trunks and rot holes that will offer nesting sites for bats and birds and support an abundance of insect life throughout their life cycle. Councillor Lydia Archisovska, Executive Member for Environment at the District Council said the launch of the Coronation Community Orchards Fund is a really exciting opportunity for parish and town councils, schools, landowners and other groups within the community to get involved and plant orchards in their local area in spaces close to where people live. Orchards really are exciting places that bring people together to plant and cultivate the trees, learn new skills and enjoy their harvest. They can act as focal points, community activities, while offering people a space to learn more about the wildlife ar- around them. These orchards, to be accessible to the public, will serve as the memorable symbol to mark the coronation of King Charles III, while contributing towards mitigating climate change by reducing carbon dioxide.
4: Continuing the wildlife theme, we have a piece headed, Wildlife Trust Calls for Nature Recovery. A wildlife charity is urging the government to heighten its ambitions at this month's COP28 conference. Berkshire Buckinghamshire and Oxfordshire Wildlife Trust, BBOWT, has called on the government to put nature recovery centre stage, act faster to reduce emissions and champion goals on adaption and the loss and damage fund. BBOWT recently established a £2 million wetland project which enhances carbon storage and reduced flood risks. BBOWT Chief Executive Estelle Bailey said This year we found just two dormice at our nature reserves, down from a hundred or so in 2004 and we believe the decline is largely down to the warming winters, disrupting their hibernation patterns.
1: Complete change of topic here. Uh, This is entitled £15,000 Road Safety Work for Dangerous High Street. Installing extra traffic calming features on a high street where private vehicles have been banned proves that it is no less dangerous than before, say critics of the scheme. Planters are being removed from Whitney High Street and temporary build-outs installed to make crossings safer for pedestrians, said Oxfordshire County Council. Its contractors started installing the build-outs on the High Street at Welsh Way Junction and Market Square at the Corn Street Junction on November the 13th. The works, costing around £15,000, are overrunning. The cost is separate from the Whitney High Street and Market Square Enhancement Project, which is funded by the Government. The scheme is being implemented following Oxfordshire County Council's controversial ban on private vehicles on Whitney High Street and Market Square in 2021. It is currently being designed around the feedback from public engagement exercises. The new build-outs once again divided opinion in the town.
2: And my next headline, GWR, which is Great Western Railways, is tackled over its crowded trains. A transport watchdog has challenged a rail company over its failure to prevent crowding on trains serving West Oxfordshire on the Cotswold line. Transport Focus wrote to Great Western Railways, GWR, asking for assurances about the efforts being made to avoid trains running with fewer carriages than required, which is allegedly leading to crowding. The watchdog claims that passengers on the rail company's high-speed and West of England services have had to deal with the consequences of short-form trains for far too long. Over the last year, the London to Cotswold service, which stops at Oxford, Hanborough, Chalbury and Kingham, fell short of its declared seat numbers by 155,944 seats. In the letter addressed to the managing director of the rail company, Transport Focus Chief Executive Anthony Smith wrote, Passengers on both high-speed and west services have had to deal with the consequences of short-form trains, leading to overcrowding and in some cases cancelled reservations for far too long. We're aware that GWR is pressing Hitachi to improve fleet availability, but there continue to be large numbers of shortened trains. Please would you assure me about the measures you are taking to improve fleet availability and reduce short formations. In response, GWR's Managing Director, Mark Hopwood, wrote, Our aim has been to try to make reductions without impacting services. That has come in part from reducing our fleet in order to make savings in lease costs. Reducing the size of our fleet was not an easy decision to make. However, it does mean that we were able to avoid whole-scale timetable reductions, which would also impact capacity and give passengers, customers, less flexibility. Newnham viaduct closure had a large impact on short-formation figures On London to Cotswold services, he said.
3: Headlined in this article is Councillor in Court over Council Tax Allegation. A councillor is being prosecuted by the local authority he serves on for allegedly failing to notify it of a change in circumstances that would have affected his council tax tax reduction. Colin Dingwall, 72, of Foxborough Lane Crawley appeared at Oxfordshire Magistrates Court on November 17th, accused of three counts of behaving contrary to Regulation 8 of the Council Tax Reduction Scheme. The Conservative councillor, who represents Hayley, Minster Lovell and Leafield on West Oxfordshire District Council, denied all three counts. A trial date was set of February 5th, 2024, and Mr Dingwall was released on unconditional bail.
4: Continuing the, the theme, we have a Proactive Policing Sees Prolific Drug Dealer Jailed. A Thames Valley Police Sergeant has praised Proactive Policing in securing the conviction and imprisonment of a prolific West Oxfordshire drug dealer. Christoph Bermnitzer, 48, of Henry Box Close in Whitney, was sentenced to three years' imprisonment at Oxford Crown Court for possession with intent to supply Class A and B drugs. Mr Bemnitzer pleaded guilty to one count each of possession with intent to supply a controlled drug of Class A, cocaine, and Class B, amphetamine, in a hearing at Oxford Crown Court last week. He also admitted to a proceeds of crime offence at the same hearing. At 8.45 on, when- on September the 23rd this year, officers from West Oxfordshire Problem Solving Team based at Whitney Police Station, were patrolling when they noticed a white combi van acting suspiciously at the Oxford Hill Junction with Jubilee Way. They located 31 deal bags containing amphetamine and 202 bags containing cocaine, with a street value of approximately £9,000 as well as £1,500 in cash. Sergeant Gary Smales of the West Oxfordshire Problem problem Solving Team said Bemnitzer was a prolific drug dealer in West Oxfordshire and his activities were stopped that evening after some excellent proactive policing. This piece of work with a successful conviction at court has gone some way to protect the drug users and the local community from the fallout of drug use
1: and here are more people appearing in court four appeared in court over gold toilet theft men charged over the theft of a 4.8 million pound gold toilet from blenheim palace have appeared in court james sheen 39 from wellingborough northamptonshire and michael jones 38 from oxford are accused of burgling the 18-carat art installation in an overnight raid in the early hours of September 14, 2019. Sheen is also charged with transferring criminal property. Sheen, Frederick Sines, 35, from Ascot, Berkshire, and Bora Guchuk, 39, from West London, are also charged with one count of conspiracy to transfer criminal property. The fully functioning toilet, titled America, was created by Italian artist Maurizio Catalan and housed in the Woodstock Palace where Sir Winston Churchill was born. All four defendants were granted unconditional bail at Oxfordshire Magistrates Court and will next appear at Oxford Crown Court at 10am on
2: the 4th of January. And the following deaths are announced in this week's Whitney Gazette. On the 15th of November, Geraint Owen, aged 57. On the 17th of November, Joan Tacon, née Cantwell, aged 91. On the 21st of November, June Kathleen Barker. On the 22nd, Derek Peter Thomas, aged 85. And on the 27th of November, David William Hatt, aged 88. We offer our condolences to family and friends.
3: And now the quiz questions from last week, the 30th of November, 2023, with the answers. And the title of the the questions was Five of a Kind. And number one. A ballet dancer whose Christian name is Margot. What was the surname? Fontaine. Fontaine. <clears throat> and secondly, the capital of South Africa. This now might cause a bit of controversy. But what do you think was the first answer? Pretoria.
0: Pretoria.
3: No, you see, that's, that apparently was the legiti- legis- legislative legislative... Capital, yes. but for the purposes of this quiz, the capital was Bloemfontein, which the editor of this week uh, googled for the answers. And there is even a third Cape Town is the administrative capital, Bloemfontein is the judicial cap- capital, Pretoria, the legislative capital, and Cape Town, the administrative capital. But for the purposes of this answer, <laughs> it is. Bloomfontein, so Margot Fontaine, capital of South Africa, Bloomfontein. Question three. In Rome, the site of the song Three Coins in a...
2: Fontaine.
3: Fountain. Fountain. The Trevi Fountain in this case. And question four. Ruined Cistercian Abbey in North Yorkshire. Does anybody know the answer to that one?
4: Fountain's
3: Fountains Abbey, Abbey, Abbey. Abbey, yes. And finally, question five, a sherbet sweet with a licorice stick.
1: Sherbet Fountain. Fountain.
3: Sherbet Fountain, so Margot Fontaine, Bloom Fontaine, Trevi Fountain, and Fountain's Abbey and the Sherbet Fountain. Okay, I hope you've got to grips with it after that.
4: And this week's questions start off with the first one, of course. When did December become the month in which the birth of Christ is celebrated? Is it the 4th century AD, the 10th century or the 15th century? And the editor knows that modern usage is CE, not AD, but she is a traditionalist in some things. Question 2. Which archangel visited Mary to tell her she would give birth to Christ? Question three. Which gospel has the fullest account of the nativity? Question four. Which saint is credited with setting up the first crib scene? Was it Joseph, Francis or Nicholas? And finally... When is the Feast of the Annunciation? You'll have to listen next week to hear the answers.
1: And here's an interesting innovation, an alternative quiz for those who do not celebrate Christ Mass but enjoy the holiday and goodwill. Number one. Which continent is the original home of Turkey's? Number two, which is, was a Christmas box? Number three, where does the Christmas tree in Trafalgar Square come from? Number four, with which pagan cult is mistletoe associated? And number five, what ingredient is no longer put in mince pies? And again, the answers are next week.
0: I'm very pleased to welcome the Reverend Charles Harris, who is here tonight to give us a reflection. He's the Methodist Minister from Longhanborough.
5: It's great to be able to speak to you again. We're getting nearer to Christmas, and so it seemed to me appropriate to be able to say something about that season of the year. But what is Christmas all about? Well, I think I might be going to shatter a few illusions Sometimes people's idea of Christmas is not really based on what actually Christians believe Christmas is really about. Let's take the Christmas tree, the Christmas cards, and Christmas crackers. What do we know about them? Well, Christmas trees, well, really, the least we say about them, probably the better. But I love Christmas trees, and I love Christmas, and I love having a decorated tree in my house. But the thing about Christmas trees is really, they're not overtly Christian. They would have been around long before Christianity, in the days when paganism was rife, and particularly in northern Europe. They were actually symbols, really phallic symbols, excuse me for saying that part of the male anatomy that we don't often mention, and they were used a little bit like maypoles. People danced around them, and it was a prayer for fertility. So in a way, it's a bit strange we've got it for Christmas, yet on the other hand, there is a link, because it's about birth. And we remember the birth of Christ and the new life that he brings into people's lives. How about Christmas cards? Well, I don't know if you get lots of Christmas cards, I tend to have quite a few. Christmas cards are strange, but on most of the traditional Christmas cards, you'll find a picture of the Nativity where there's an image of baby jesus mary and joseph and the angels and the animals and possibly the kings and the shepherds all together in this one place now modern christmas cards don't have that on all the time they have all sorts of other seasonal things on but the reality is if you read the bible that particular picture of the nativity is not what you will find because they weren't all together in the same place Read the Gospels, get somebody to read them to you, you can listen to the scriptures through audio tapes. It's very easy to find out for yourself what the Bible says. But in that particular biblical account, or the biblical records in the Gospels, we find that, in fact, Jesus was born, yes, in a stable, but not the sort of stable we might imagine. It would have been a cave, carved out in the rocks, normally underneath a house, you can go and see some of them and visit some of them. You can touch the sides of them and see how they feel if you ever go to Lazarus. But then, when the baby was born, we're told that the shepherds came. That was okay. But then, if you read the Bible account, there's no sign at that point of a star. No sign at that point of wise men. In fact, there's no sign at that point of any of the things that followed afterwards. But later... In the Gospels, it says that the star came over the house where Jesus was. Well, clearly, if you've just had a little baby and you're a lady in a stable, they're not going to leave you there. Once they can find somewhere to put you, go somewhere else. So she went to a house, where no doubt she was looked after a bit better than she would have been in the stable. But then sometime afterwards, these wise men, we don't know how many, says gold, frankincense and myrrh, which makes us think it was three, but it could have been any number, came... To visit the child so the events are not the same as the Christmas cards and how about Christmas crackers why do we have them well I like Christmas crackers but they're a strange thing really a man called Tom Smith is reputed to have invented them he was making bonbon sweets you know those sort of little twirly bits of paper you get a sweet inside and you pull both ends and the sweet pops out And he apparently wanted to really raise his profits a little, so he introduced this little uh, bit of explosive that went ping and made a noise when they opened, and that's where the Christmas crackers came from. But do Christmas crackers have anything to do with Christianity? May I suggest they have. Well, they've become to have. When you have the little Christmas cracker inside, there are two little bits of stick, more or less, or pieces of card. And when they're pulled from either end, because they've got a little bit of explosive on, it, in a sense, it's sort of the friction, goes shh, and it makes a noise. Try it with someone. And that bang is really, I suppose, like in the announcement. You could say it's the announcement of the birth of Jesus. The angels declared to the shepherds that the child would be born. Then inside, you've got a little motto a little statement, and that perhaps reminds us of the many prophecies that there were in the Old Testament, that Jesus was going to come. So have these little messages that remind us that something is going to happen. Then you have the crown, which you put on your head, paper crown, reminding us that Jesus came as the king. And then you have the little gift inside, whatever it might be. Sometimes it's just a lot of plastic rubbish, really, nowadays, but the little gift inside to remind us that God's love is given to us As a gift. So many symbolisms in all of these things, but is that really what Christmas is about? I don't think it is. They're all great fun, they're all very nice, but it's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about God coming into the world because He loves the world. These things I've just mentioned now, (laughs) what difference does that make to Gaza, to the Ukraine, to these broken parts of the world, like Yemen and other places? The important thing is about Christmas that Christ came into the world to show the love of God, to demonstrate that. And he calls us to do the same. Yes, have fun at Christmas time, but don't forget what it's about. We're here to make a difference. Will you make a difference this Christmas and in the coming year? I hope you will.
0: Thank you so much. I have a very nice item for the notice board this week. Thank you very much, Mrs. Kimber. We're delighted to receive your Christmas card and specially commend you for choosing a Christmas card made by a firm which takes recycling and reducing impact on the environment so seriously. And we're also very grateful indeed for your generous cheque inside the card. That's a lovely way for us to start our recording. With a delightful card and generous gift. Uh, no birthdays, but I'm going to give a reminder. It's a bit early, but um, you can get used to it. It's about the way Christmas and New Year affect bin collecting days. Most collections will be two days later than usual. But those who usually have their bins emptied on a Friday will need to wait until Tuesday the 2nd of January and Monday the 8th of January. There'll be no garden waste collections in those weeks. Normal service doesn't return until the week beginning the 15th of January. I know I won't remember all that, but at least I won't be dismayed when the bins aren't emptied when I expect them to be. If you have a real tree you may be glad to know that the council will take it on your usual garden waste collection day between the 9th of January and the 22nd of January, even if you don't have a garden waste licence. Crews would appreciate large trees being in three foot sections and of course without any decorations. My contribution is a poem for this time of year when we are waiting and preparing for Christmas or waiting for a celebration of the family, or waiting for the days to lengthen. It even speaks to those who feel sad amongst the jollity. It reassures us that as we move through our lives, there are opportunities for fresh starts, for new beginnings, and that at the end, we shall experience something new. The poem is Shadows by D. H. Lawrence. And if tonight my soul may find her peace in sleep and sink in good oblivion and in the morning wake like a new open flower, then I have been dipped again in God and new created. And if, as weeks go round, in the dark of the moon, my spirit darkens and goes out and soft, strange gloom perverts my Pervades my movements And my thoughts and words Then I shall know That I am walking still with God We are close together Now the moon's in shadow And if as autumn Deepens and darkens I feel the pain Of falling leaves And stems that break in storms And trouble and disillusion And distress And then the softness Of deep shadows folding Folding around my soul and spirit Around my lips so sweet Like a swoon Or more like the drowse of a low, sad song Singing darker than the nightingale On, on to the solstice And the silence of short days The silence of the year The shadow Then I shall know that my life is moving still with the dark earth and drenched with the deep oblivion of earth's lapse and renewal. And if, in the changing phases of man's life, I fall in sickness and in misery, my wrists seem broken and my heart seems dead and strength is gone, and my life is only the leavings of a life, and still among it all, snatches of lovely oblivion and snatches of renewal, Odd, wintry flowers upon this withered stem, yet new, strange flowers, still, as my life has not brought forth before, new blossoms of me. Then I must know that still I am in the hands of the unknown God. He is breaking me down to his own oblivion, to send me forth on a new morning, a new man. I hope... That, like me, you find this poem comforting, that it reassures us all that all will be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well.
2: Now, the next item is headlined Riz, and that's R I double Z, is the word of the year. Now, don't worry if you haven't heard it before, because nor had I. Um, Anyway, the item reads, Oxford University Press has named Riz as the word of the year for 2023. Riz is widely used on social media to mean style, charm or attractiveness, the ability to attract a romantic or sexual partner. It is believed to be a shortened form of the word charisma. Charisma. Riz can also be used as a verb in phrases such as to riz up, which means to attract, seduce or chat up. The word emerged from the gaming and internet culture. Other words in the 2023 shortlist, which was opened up to -to head-to-head voting by the public across social media and the Oxford Languages website, included Swifty which is an enthusiastic fan of the singer Taylor Swift and de-influencing the practice of discouraging people from buying particular products or of encouraging people to reduce their consumption of material goods, especially via social media. Now, as a footnote from me, I seem to remember that the word of the year last year was goblin mode, which I don't know what it meant, And I haven't heard it since its announcement in December last year.
3: And the headline for this article is Moth Epidemic Threatens Your Woolies Clothes moths are a growing threat to furnishings and fabrics, say experts, and moth numbers have doubled in the past five years, most likely because of warmer weather. Moth activity increases as the weather gets warmer, so now is the time to start protecting your wardrobe. With that in mind, what is the best way for you to protect your clothes from this plague of moths? Your first step is to figure out where your moth infestation originated. Look for holes in any garments made out of animal fibres to try to find out where the moths have been leaving their eggs since it's the larvae that feed on them after they hatch. Make sure you only store clean clothes in your wardrobes. Dirty clothes attract moths faster than a flame. A hot wash should destroy any eggs or lava. Use pheromone moth traps. These traps lure male moths. Mothballs are an effective way to kill moths, but be careful. Using mothballs around small children and pets is potentially very dangerous, especially if ingested. Clothing that has been stored with mothballs should be washed afterwards to prevent anemia. If you develop a headache, nausea, dizziness or vomiting after being exposed to mothballs, discontinue using and dispose of the mothballs.
4: Friendly Care Home Cafe Tackling Loneliness There's the heading. A Whitney care home is aiming to combat loneliness this Christmas with a festive friendship cafe. Care UK's Miller Grange is care home in Kerbidge Road is inviting older community members to join in on the festive spirit on December the 19th from 2 o'clock to 3.30pm. This comes after studies from Age, Concert, sorry, Age UK highlighted that nearly 1.5 million older adults feel lonelier during the festive period than any other time of year. As part of its Care to Share initiative, Care UK has organised more than 100 festive Friendship Cafes to offer older community members a fun and safe space. Visitors will be invited to participate in Christmas carol sing-alongs, film screenings and other activities while enjoying mince pies and mulled wine. Alison Parry, Home Manager, said, Our regular Friendship Café is always incredibly popular providing a wonderful opportunity to have a natter and make some friends, and this month we're putting a festive spin on things.
1: Growing Daycare Centre marks second anniversary. Aston Day Centre has now been open for 23 months and continues to go from strength to strength, seeing an increase in numbers month on month to a membership of 26. The centre provides a venue once a week from 10am till 3pm for the seniors of Aston and the surrounding villages to take part in a seated exercise session, plenty of music and a sing-song, a fresh two-course lunch, along with plenty of games and other activities throughout the day. There is also live music most Wednesday afternoons. It also provides a loan book and puzzle service and a large selection of greeting cards and stamps for a small donation. There is a weekly information hub every week, along with samples of aids that are designed to make life easier around the home to try. Karen Stay founded the Day Centre in 2021 after many seniors told her they felt socially isolated especially coming out of the COVID lockdowns. She was recently highly commended in the Oxfordshire Care Awards 2023 leadership category. And there are a lot of photographs here. I'll just describe a couple of them. Uh, One of them has um, a couple, and the gentleman is is bending down, stroking a dog, and looking very happy about it. Uh, Another one has... um, Uh, two lines of people, probably about eight or nine in each line, facing each other. And it looks as if they have those long balloons. I'm not sure what they're going to do with them. Maybe bat balls around or something like that. Um, Anyway, they look as if they're having fun. That's the main thing.
2: Uh, The next story is headlined, Bus Company Celebrates 30 Years of Service. Bus operator Stagecoach West has celebrated 30 years in operation with company-wide celebratory events. To commemorate the 30-year milestone, staff members enjoyed quizzes, gifts and cupcakes at each depot and a sizable birthday cake. Formed in November 1993, Stagecoach West resulted from the merger of Western Travel, which included Cheltenham, Gloucester Omnibus Company and the National Bus Company's Swindon and District operation. Over the years, the company has expanded its operations, acquiring the Bristol Depot in 2019 and merging with Stagecoach Oxfordshire in 2021. The company reached its 30-year anniversary at the end of last month and Managing Director of Stagecoach West, Rachel Gelliamassi, said... We play a vital role in thousands of people's lives every day, taking them to work or school, to appointments or holidays and days out, a role we value and care about. And she added, So here's to the next 30 years and all the exciting challenges ahead, a time of change with the introduction of more electric vehicles to our fleet and adopting new technologies and continuing to put our customers at the heart of everything we do.
3: The headline of this one is Hundreds' Brave Cold for Christmas Lights Switch-On Hundreds turned out on the coldest night for months for the annual Christmas light Switch-On and lantern parade in Carterton. Town Mayor Councillor Cathy Godwin, accompanied by Santa in his sleigh, led around 300 young people carrying an array of lanterns into the town square on Saturday before the big switch-on of the Christmas lights. This year, Robin Gully and Samuel Harris, recipients of the Mayor's Young Citizen Award, did the honours. Despite the freezing weather, crowds were in the square to welcome the parade and enjoyed food and Christmas-themed gifts from a variety of stalls. A selection of Christmas songs by acting community thingamy bogs and Buttercross Productions kept the crowds entertained while Father Christmas was kept busy with visits in his grotto. Other attractions included a real-life pet reindeer, a slow grobe, a foam snow machine, and an amazing juggling stilt walker. Meanwhile, Carterton firefighters received a call out to Clunfield while children were on the fire engine and had to rush off. On the way, however, they realised they had picked up a toy which they wanted to return to their rightful owner. Carterton Fire Station posted on Facebook, If the child who owns the cat toy is missing it, then please get in touch to our Facebook page and we can negotiate its self-return, safe return. It will be held safely at ransom on our vehicle to attend the next fire call until then.
4: And finally, I think we have an article headed, Festive Fun on the Farm with Christmas at Cogs. A very special guest from the North Pole dropped in to Whitney's Coggs Manor Farm. Children queued to meet Father Christmas and his elves in Santa's Grotto at the weekend and explored the festively decorated panto-themed attraction. As dusk approached, visitors enjoyed lashings of festive cheer with mulled wine and seasonal snacks before following the festive light trail illuminating the grounds of the Heritage Farm. General Manager of COGS, Guy Reed, said it had been a hugely successful season. I came on board early this year, and the most important task was to deliver a fantastic event programme and re-establish COGS as an exciting venue for all the family. We're ready for Christmas, a time where COGS really comes into its own, making memories for visitors and celebrating seasons past, present, And yet to come. Cogs won second place in the recent Oxfordshire Red Kite Days Animal Attraction Awards, while a grant from the National Lottery Heritage Fund enabled the farm to deliver projects including the re thatch of the ox buyer, the resurfacing of the accessible car park, new lighting and interpretation in the wheat and barley barns. Replacement farm gates and helping to deliver broadband across the entire site. Mr. Reed said, "Looking forward, I am delighted to announce that Cogs has been awarded an Oxfordshire Local Enterprise Partnership grant to develop the meadows into a wildlife trail in 2024, which will help to create habitats and increased biodiversity." The grant as well as proceeds from our Summer Fate fundraiser enable the purchase of a new tractor which is tremendously exciting and will help realise our plans and make a huge difference to the working farm. Christmas at Cogs continues for the next two weekends with a festive light trail from 4 until 7 last entry at 6pm and that article is surrounded by five very colourful pictures one of a pygmy goat one of Father Christmas and an elf and the other two are of musicians who are joining in the fun
0: Just before we conclude our recording we're going to entertain you with a jingle which has been repeating itself in the editor's head She hopes to transfer her earworm to you there's an added verse, so all the readers have a chance to be silly. The more it snows,
4: Tiddlypom.
1: The more it goes, Tiddlypom. The more it goes, Tiddlypom. On snowing,
2: Tiddlypom. And nobody knows, Tiddlypom, how cold my nose, Tiddlypom, how cold my nose, Tiddlypom, is growing
3: and nobody knows how cold my toes how cold my toes are growing well
0: that's all we have time for please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield remember to reverse the plastic address label on the blue pouch or the yellow pouch before posting it back to us please do so as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. Remember, if you wish to contact us, just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and we will telephone you. It only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette and District Council newsletter for the stories we have used tonight and to remind you that if you go on listening after we've said goodbye, you can hear the broadcaster. Li- this stings. Thanks to our technical expert, Rob Oxpring and our copiers, John Ashwell and Alan Ravell, who are copying the memory sticks, and to our admin team, who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks who have returned and keeping records of this in our register. And they were Marnie Leach and Jan Butler. And finally, our four readers, Jean Thompson, Alan Ravel, Dorothy Allen and John Ashwell. I know everybody would like to say goodbye. And so until our next edition, goodbye.
1: soundings features from across the UK
6: Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights starting with Saturday, December 9th. And the afternoon drama is Sweeney Todd string of pearls rosalind ayres directs archie scotney's 2021 adaptation of the 1846 penny dreadful the first introduced the demon barber sweeney todd to the world starring martin jarvis joanne Walley, and rufus sewell the first of two parts begins at three o'clock on saturday on radio 4. more period crime drama this time by ian rankin the Third Gentleman is set in 1790s Edinburgh and stars Alexander Morton as Rankin's roguish sleuth, Mr Cullender, investigating a two-time murderer. 5pm for this on Saturday, BBC Radio 4 Extra. In Opera on 3, you can hear the New York Metropolitan Opera's first performance of Florencia el Amanazonas by a Mexican composer, Daniel Catan, 1949-2011. It's the first Spanish-language opera staged at the Met for almost a century. Inspired by the magical realism of Gabriel Garcia Marquez, it's the story of a celebrated soprano voyaging down the Amazon in search of her lost lover who's disappeared into the jungle. 6.30pm, Radio 3. And lastly for Saturday, this week's Archive on 4, The Art of Silence, the extraordinary story of mime artist Marcel Marceau's wartime work with the Jewish-French resistance how his father's death in Auschwitz fed into his gentle, pacifist work. Narrated by his two daughters, Aurelia and Camille. 8 o'clock, Saturday evening, Radio 4. Sunday, December 10th. And in the first of five programmes, Natural History celebrates the cultural significance of the penguin. Just like us, they stand upright, they travel in groups, and they communicate all the time, and walk or waddle on land. 6.35 in the morning, on Radio 4 on Sunday. The castaway on Desert Island Discs this week is Strictly Come Dancing's head judge, Shirley Ballas. 11.15, Radio 4. Love story drama, Kiss of the Spider Woman, is a translation of Manuel Puig's stage play. Marxist revolutionary Velatin and gay window-dresser Molina, imprisoned for his sexuality, share a cell in 1970s Argentina and form a close bond. But Molina carries the burden of knowing that informing on his cellmate will secure him an early release. The drama is on at three o'clock on Sunday afternoon, Radio 4. And Stuff is a stand-up show recorded at The Stand in Newcastle in which comedian and former product designer Scott Bennett asks whether it's possible to live a simple life when surrounded by so much stuff. He takes aim at the mindfulness industry, smart technology, aspirational lifestyles, product packaging and paper straws. 7.15 on Radio 4 on Sunday. On to programmes then that are broadcast each day at the same time on the same radio station all week from Monday to Friday. So each day, same time, same radio station. How to Write a Novel in a Week is a comedy drama from 2013 by Tony Grounds. The cast includes Paul Ritter and Sophie Thompson. Radio 4 Extra for this, either at 7.15 in the morning if you're an early riser or 12.15 at lunchtime and 5.15 at night. In a new series entitled Cold Therapy with Michael Mosley, the presenter explores how cold temperatures can improve health, starting with how turning your thermostat down by a few degrees can improve fat and blood sugar metabolism, boost mood and protect against type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. 9.45 in the morning for this. All week, Radio 4. Composer of the Week features German composer Engelbert Humperdinck and the first programme, Themes of Youth, features Evening Prayer from Hansel and Gretel, sung by Susan Graham and Rennie Fleming. 12 noon, Radio 3. Empire of Tea continues with tough, tiring, difficult. The introduction of industrial tea production in India in the 19th century created huge demand for tea pickers, but conditions they worked in were harrowing. 1.45 in the afternoon, Radio 4. The essay, Looking at Leeds, explores the city of Leeds through its public art, past, present and future, presented by Malika Booker, 10.45, Radio 3. And this week's Book of Bedtime is The Happy Couple, nay, Stolen's comedic exploration of modern love and millennial malaise. The first of ten episodes all week, 10.45, Radio 4. Carrying on the rest of the week, and Monday, December 11th, in Start the Week, Adam Rutherford and guests include journalist Luce Doucette and discuss small states, their global impact and survival. Nine o'clock, Radio 4, in the morning. In conversation, Kim Chakonetska meets two inspiring women whose mission is education. The schools they establish for girls in Kenya and children from the slums of Bangalore in India have had astonishing successes. 11.30 in the morning for this, BBC World Service. Drama, The Human Way, is a dystopian love story. Two young people enlist on a programme to break the hold technology has on communication and relationships and rehabilitate them back into a real human life. But they discover a darker side to the process. The Human Way, 2.15, Radio 4, on Monday. And following this, a new 13-part series of Counterpoint... The eclectic music quiz chaired by Paul Gambaccini. Three o'clock, Radio 4. Tuesday, December 12th, and a documentary, Stories from the New Silk Road, the Arctic. World Trade receives little attention in the conversation around warming climates. Yet above the Arctic Circle, the race is on between nations hoping to exploit the melting sea ice for commercial gain. 9.30 in the morning, BBC World Service. In the afternoon drama The Last Chihiro, based on true events, Tonde returns to his birthplace in Zimbabwe to bury his mother, as per her wishes. But traditional funeral rites get in the way of his plans. 2.15 for this, Radio 4. Radio 3 in Concert presents Marin Alsop conducting the BBC Concert Orchestra and soloists in the European premiere of Gospel Messiah. Her reimagining of Handel's Messiah with musical arrangements by Bob Christensen and Gary Anderson including jazz, gospel, R&B, soul and pop. It was recorded last Thursday at the Royal Albert Hall in London and you can hear it 7.30 on Tuesday evening on Radio 3. And then just a little later on in the evening, In Touch, news and features for the blind and partially sighted at 8.40 on Radio 4. Wednesday, December 13th, the receiver of Wreck is the afternoon drama. A rusting ship washes up on the shore in Fleetwood and quickly rumours are spreading around the town about what the vessel could be. From Pirate Station to Gaddafi's gun-running shipment for the IRA. For Jen Green, the receiver of Wreck, it proves the strangest case of her career. 2.15 2.15 for the receiver of Rec Radio 4. It's a radio pun at work in the title The Dying Wish. Dying as in growing at scale the dye plants that yield the primary colours and dying as in the bladder cancer diagnosis of fine art photographer Gary Fabian Miller who embarked on a five-year project while undergoing treatment after years spent using chemical darkroom colours. Four o'clock for this interesting one, Radio 4. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane Austen starring Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders, begins a new four-part series with Mummy Dearest. French and Saunders play the sisters, one a novelist, the other a movie star in a constant battle to be the most acclaimed and loved. 6.30 in the evening on Radio 4 on Wednesday. And Radio 3 in concert, conductor Karim Hassan makes a return visit to the Lighthouse Pool with the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra in a concert of Brahms and Mahler recorded on December 6th. 730 Radio 3 for that one. Thursday, December 14th, and Crossing Continents focuses on Ukraine. In Ukraine, fighting for openness. Whilst thousands of Ukrainian soldiers are still fighting to defend their country, many patriotic civilians are battling for a fairer, less corrupt Ukraine, worthy of its heroes. Correspondent Tim Wellwell has been reporting since Russia invaded, and this is a two-part follow-up to his previous Crossing Continents report, Ukraine, Collaboration and Resistance, which was filed in August 2022 this one is on at 11am thursday morning radio 4 greg james unwraps some festive gems from the bbc archive in a new three-part series of rewinder on radio 4 at 4 and in another new series i can school you comedian ken chang focuses his analytical observations on school subjects. In the first of three programmes, he explores maths, the subject he loved until it broke him, and asks how he can turn around its public image. 6.30pm for this, Radio 4 on Thursday. Lastly, we come to Friday, December 15th, and a new series of short works begins with mudlarks by Sophie Haycock. Seeking distraction from her work, a junior doctor looks to take up mudlarking on the Thames in London. 3.45 3.45 on Friday afternoon Radio 4 For a bit of much needed humour tune into the comedy impressions with a festive twist from Dead Ringers The first of two programmes is on at 6.30 on Radio 4 on Friday Screenshot begins a new series with a programme celebrating the life of Liverpudlian writer director Terence Davis, who died earlier this year at the age of 77 7.15pm on Radio 4 for that and Radio Three in concert, recorded on December first at Bangor University, Violin Concerto in A minor by Glazunov, Symphony number no. eight in G by Vojak, and the Spark Catchers, a twenty seventeen piece by Hannah Kendall, all recorded at Bangor University at the beginning of this month. That's it. Thank you to Leslie for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe, and enjoyable one of radio listening.
7: Hello. This is Lizzie from Otley Talking News, with Val's selection of audio-described TV programmes starting Saturday the 9th to Friday the 15th of December, 2023. Starting with Saturday the 9th of December, Mary creates an aubergine buna and apple crumble in Mary Makes It Easy on BBC One at 11.30am. Paul Ainsworth and James visit Cornwall in James Martin's Great British Adventure at 11.40am on ITV1. A choice of films this afternoon. The fantasy adventure Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 is on ITV1 at 5.45pm. Or you may prefer the comedy adventure Crocodile Dundee. Over on Channel 4 at ten past five. For Midsummer fans, a triple bill starts on ITV free at four fifty five when Barnaby investigates the apparent suicide of a solicitor who was reported to be stealing from clients. The noise of a mysterious puppet drives the human race crazy as the toymaker returns to hold the world in his grasp in the final 60th anniversary special episode of Doctor Who at 6.30pm on BBC One. Discover how the festive period is celebrated by the royal family in A Royal Guide to Christmas at 7pm on Channel 4. The remaining couples must each perform two routines in a bid to reach next week's final, in this week's Strictly Come Dancing, on BBC One at 7.35pm. A mysterious item washes up that could change the course of the game for the castaways in tonight's episode of Survivor at 9pm on BBC One. Now, on to Sunday the 10th of December. Sunday with Laura Koonsberg, featuring interviews with politicians and key public figures, is on BBC One at 9am. Based on Jane Austen's novel, the early evening film is the period romantic drama Pride and Prejudice, with five daughters and no fortune, class-obsessed Mrs Bennet, is determined to marry off her brood and goes into a matchmaking frenzy. This is on BBC Two at 6pm. David Attenborough praises people on the front line of conservation who are risking everything in the fight to save wildlife. The final episode of Planet Earth 3 is on BBC One at 6.20pm. Two couples take part in the last dance-off of the series in Strictly Come Dancing The Results at 7.20 on BBC One. When a British weapons test goes disastrously wrong, DCI Amy Silver is called in to investigate in a new six-part series of the crime drama Vigil at 9pm on BBC One continues tomorrow at the same time. In a new arts documentary series, the historian Lucy Worsley investigates how Arthur Conan Doyle turned against the character he had created, killing Sherlock, Lucy Worsley on the cast of Conan Doyle, on BBC Two at 9pm. Here are those programmes which are on at the same time throughout the week. Homes Under the Hammer is at 11.15. Bargain Hunt is at 12.15. Doctors is at one forty-five, but not on Friday. And Escape to the Country is at 3pm. All these programmes are on BBC One. The Best Christmas Food Ever is on BBC Two at 2.15pm, Monday to Friday. Dickinson's Real Deal is on ITV1 at 2pm Monday to Friday. Downton Abbey is on ITV3 at 5.50 Monday, 5.25 Tuesday and Wednesday, and 5.40 Thursday and Friday. Heartbeat is on ITV3 at 6.55pm Monday to Friday. Let's see what's on offer for Monday the 11th of December. Four more guests discuss their favourite books with Sarah Cox. Between the Covers is at 7pm on BBC Two. It's time to give your brain cells their weekly workout tonight, starting with Mastermind at 7.30pm and then University Challenge at 8.30 p.m., both on BBC Two. Focusing on quick and easy recipes, Jamie Oliver shares tips that save time and money while still delivering a sensational spread in Jamie's Christmas Shortcuts at 8 p.m. on Channel 4. After Amy and Kirsten battle for their lives, The case takes a turn in the second episode of the crime drama Vigil on BBC One at 9pm. As Caesar takes control of Rome and consolidates his grip over the Republic, he awards himself ever greater powers. The final episode of Julius Caesar, The Making of a Dictator, is on BBC Two at 9pm. Moving on to Tuesday, the 12th of December. Friday the turtle is nipping and harassing the divers when they enter his tank. Can he be distracted by food? Find out in Secrets of the Aquarium on BBC2 at 8pm. Christmas is approaching at Wood Green Pets Charity and the time has come for some festive matchmaking. The House at Christmas is on Channel 4 at 8pm. Following the stabbing of an officer on the airbase, Eliza warns Amy to get control of her investigation in the third episode of the crime drama Vigil at 9 on BBC One. Louis meets up with actor, director and former rapper Ashley Walters at his family home. Louis Ferreau Interviews is on BBC Two at 9pm. In a dispatcher's investigation, Harry Wallop examines Britain's soaring food prices, revealing how supermarkets and suppliers have reacted to protect their profits. Less For More, The Truth About Food Prices is on Channel 4 at 9pm. Until Wednesday the 13th of December, Jay Blades and the team tackle four much-loved objects in this festive edition of The Repair Shop at Christmas on BBC One at 8pm. The tight-knit team at Withensea scours the North Sea for a local fisherman and friend of the crew who is missing in saving lives at sea on BBC Two at 8pm. Several choices at nine tonight. Mary travels to her mother's homeland of Scotland for a magical winter break in a cottage in the Highlands and cooks sumptuous dishes to be enjoyed over the busy Christmas period. Mary Berry's Highland Christmas is on BBC One at 9pm. Following the death of her adoptive mother, a grieving Rowan finds that Elena had lied about attempting to track down her birth parents. A double bill of the drama Mayfair Witches starts at 9pm on BBC2. Pete gives Evie an ultimatum, but it only serves to deepen her obsession with Danny. The couple next door is on Channel 4 at 9pm. Let's have a look at Thursday the 14th of December. Mary joins Western star and keen cook, Michael Ball, who wants some fresh ideas that will expand his repertoire in the kitchen. The final episode of Mary Makes It Easy is on BBC2 at 7.30pm. Stacy is joined by friends and family to create festive homemade gifts and decorations that she hopes will bring joy and wonder without blowing the budget. Stacy Solomon's Crafty Christmas is on BBC One at 8 p.m. They carry the equivalent of the planet's population every three days, but how do lifts prevent us from plummeting to the ground? Professor Hannah Fry finds out in The Secret Genius of Modern Life on BBC Two at 8pm. In the Christmas special from 2019, Dawn makes a shocking discovery about Pete in the sitcom Gavin and Stacey at 9pm on BBC One. Evidence of a much wider network of cartel-linked corruption is revealed in the concluding part of the documentary Disappeared Mexico's Missing 43 on BBC Two at 9pm. There is a tense showdown on the Yorkshire Dales in the final episode of the drama The Couple Next Door on Channel 4 at 9 Finally, we come to Friday the 15th of December. Four contestants take to the black chair tonight in Celebrity Mastermind at 7.30pm on BBC One. Cameras follow the keepers and staff as they transform London Zoo into a magical winter wonderland for Christmas 2022. London Zoo at Christmas is on Channel 4 at 8pm. In the Christmas special from last year, the Spectres rack their brains to come up with a special present for Alison. The sitcom Ghosts is on BBC One at 8.30pm. Greg Wallace heads to Woodman Stern Card Factory in Watford where he follows the production of a best-selling Christmas card. Inside the Christmas Factory, is on BBC Two at 9. Ian and Gordon arrange a Father's Day visit to the carvery for both sets of parents. The sitcom, Two Doors Down, is on BBC One at 9.30pm. Two 14-year-old boys are messing about on the Mississippi when they encounter a charismatic fugitive on the run for murder. Mud is tonight's late night film on BBC Two at 5 past 11. Although not audio described, we end this week with a treat for any Tony Bennett fans. Tony Bennett Sings is on BBC Four from 9 to just past midnight. I hope you find something to enjoy from this week's selection
3: enf soundings